the world has turned a blind eye to the signs of the coming apocalypse. But Jesus encouraged his followers to be watchful. Are you watching? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at our culture's flippant attitude toward Christ's return and the duty of believers to be vigilant. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Don't Let Society Beguile You, here's David. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are coming to the end of the month of March and the first of three months of study in the subjects of prophecy. The Bible is filled with prophetic truth. In fact, there are over 1,000 prophecies in the Bible. Did you know that? And one-fourth of the Bible is prophetic so to ignore it would be like um, uh, just taking your scissors and cutting out a fourth of the Scripture. And uh, the prophetic part of this is so important, and uh, especially because Jesus so endorsed it. In his Olivet Discourse, he gave the longest uh, speech uh, that we have in writing, and it's all prophetic. So we're, we're studying hallowed ground. And uh, we're one-third of our way through, or almost. Today, we're going to finish up what we started yesterday, as we really are talking about the subject of apathy and being beguiled by the society in which we live. And uh, we're looking at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 24. Tomorrow, on Turning Point, we will talk about the rapture. And we'll end the month and begin the new month with that discussion, which is pivotal in all of our prophetic discussions. I'm reminding you again that you just have a short time to order sort of the textbook for this three-month series. It's called The Book of Signs. It is 463 pages in length. It comes equipped with a topical and scriptural index. It's designed to help you understand prophecy. The uh, chapters are about 4,000 words. They're written in article style uh, with contemporary illustrations throughout, usually at the front and back of each of the chapters. And it's meant to entice you to read it, keep you reading until you have absorbed this truth into your own heart. It is really life-changing, and I say that not because I wrote it, but because it is the Word of God. And uh, you can get this book for a gift of any size, today or tomorrow. All you have to do is say, send me the book, and you uh, make an investment in Turning Point as God enables you to do that. Send your best gift and just say, send me the book, and we'll do it. And if you've never done that before, it's simple as that. Just send a note to us. You'll hear the address at the end of the program. And um, when you send your gift, we'll send the book. It's our way of saying thank you for your investment. This is a robust investment on your part and on ours. It's a wonderful um, relationship we have this way. Well, let's get started with part two of Don't Let Society Beguile You here on Turning Point. When Paul was speaking to the first generation Christians in his letter called 1 Corinthians, he commended them that they came short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminded the Philippian believers that their citizenship was in heaven, which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he wrote to the Hebrews, he told them that whenever they got together, they were to love and do good deeds and not forsake their assembling as they awaited for the day. Once again, he referred to the coming of our Lord. 
In the book of James, which continues the theme throughout the New Testament, James said, be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. First Peter chapter four, verse seven, we're told the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. First John two eighteen says, children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have arisen from this. We know that it is the last hour. Listen, I'm just giving you little samples from all through the New Testament, from the beginning all the way through to the end. And you get to the book of Revelation and the very last thing that is recorded in the word of God from the lips of the Lord Jesus recorded of him, he says, yes, I am coming quickly, amen. Now I just want you to know, men and women, this isn't something I made up. This isn't just for apocalyptic interest. This isn't just sensationalism. This is from the word of God. And it's all about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. And one of the missing dimensions in the church of Jesus Christ as I view it today is this has been moved out of the center of our belief system and pushed out to the periphery with the idea in mind that it is no longer relevant to the major issues and problems that we face today. My friend, there is no more relevant doctrine to what we face in our generation than this truth soon and very soon we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for the things done in the flesh. And we better believe that. If we don't believe that, we will not live the way we ought to live. So as our Lord is teaching his disciples, he is teaching them to take this seriously. And I want us to look at these verses that are before us today, just as quickly as possible. And notice three attitudes that Jesus warned us against. Attitudes that are easy for us to assume as we are believers today in this generation. First of all, he warns against a cavalier attitude. Somebody said, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? I don't know and I don't care. That's the way a lot of people are, you know. That's the way they feel about the things of the future. But Jesus warned them and he warned them as he so effectively often did through telling them a story or using a parable from the Old Testament. He says... In verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now let's just stop right there for a moment. What is he saying? I've heard all kinds of messages on this particular passage. In fact, uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 where it describes the world before the flood, there's a little verse that captures it. It says, the Lord looked down and he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Does that sound like it could be written over our society today? I mean, it's a pretty good verse, isn't it, to describe the kinds of things we're dealing with in the evil culture in which we live. And I'm not a doomsday prophet. I mean, I enjoy the good world that the Lord has given us, but I see that wickedness is getting more and more intense. And to the point where you read some stuff in the paper and you wonder, who in the world could have ever have conceived of that? Who would have thought that up? It says here that in the days before the flood, that the wickedness of man was great and every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. That's the where it was. That's where we're headed without a major revival in this culture. But having said that, that is not what Jesus was talking about when he said 
that they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. I've heard preachers preach, you see how evil that culture was? They were eating like gluttons and they were drinking themselves under the table. I don't know what they do with the next two phrases, marrying and giving in marriage, because that sounds pretty wholesome to me. What Jesus was saying, now watch this was, as it was in the day before the flood, before the flood, the culture was simply doing what they normally did. They would eat and drink. They were marrying and giving in marriage and they didn't change anything. It was life as usual. Here was old man Noah out there preaching his heart out. There's gonna be rain. That's the only message he had. And he preached it every day for 120 years. And everybody thought the man was a kook, that he was nuts. And they would say, what do you mean? We don't even know what rain is because before that time it had never rained on planet earth. Did you know that? There had been vapors, but there had never been, nobody, you know, do you remember the old Flip Wilson thing? It's gonna rain. (laughs) What's rain? And while he's preaching the rain message, He's building this thing in his front yard. I mean, huge thing. Looked like a hotel. And he's walking around preaching for 120 years. You better get right. Judgment's gonna come. And what did the people do? They just kept eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, doing what they always did, never changed a thing. Didn't make any impact on them at all. My friend, that is the way I view most Christians today who listen to prophetic preaching. Well, you know, Jeremiah's into the prophetic theme now. You know, he's probably going to write another book. (laughs) I mean, that's what I, so, you know, we'll come hear him out. And then if we miss a Sunday, we'll get it when he comes out, you know. And there's no real seriousness about it. My friend, I want to tell you something. We cannot afford a cavalier attitude about the things the Lord has said concerning his coming. He has told us in his word that he is coming back. And that we better be right with him. We better know him personally when he comes back. And then it says here, when he comes back, there's going to be a certain thing that happens. It says there are going to be some people who are taken, some people who are left. Now, he's talking here about the second coming. And I want to make this very clear. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, in the original context of that passage in Matthew 24, it's exactly the reverse of what we think. The one who's taken is taken in judgment, and the one who's left is left to go into the kingdom. But isn't that an apropos picture of the way it's going to be in the rapture too? You know, people are going to be, all of a sudden the Lord's going to come back and and folks are going to be missing. I don't want to be smart aleckly about this. Some churches won't miss a beat, but a lot of churches are going to have a lot of empty pews that next Sunday because God's people are going to be gone. And Jesus said, whatever you do, don't get cavalier about it. You see, we've been talking about the rapture all my life. I've been going to prophetic conferences. My dad preached on prophecy. I remember evangelistic crusades. They never had an evangelistic crusade, but one night it was kind of like rapture night. Second coming of Christ. And you brought all your friends and Jack Van Impey or somebody get up and preach on the second coming of Christ and people would get saved. Young people would get saved. We've had that around us. And you know what? We've gotten so cavalier about it that countless number of churches now never hear a prophetic sermon throughout the whole life of their church experience. Jesus said, you better be careful. 
Because it's going to be just like it was before the flood. And then there was a day, remember. Oh, man, no, he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's going to rain. And then one day somebody said, what was that? What was what? Some hit me on the shoulder. It's water. Man, here comes another one. And it started, and they'd never seen it before. It had never been like that before in the history of the world. By this time, Noah had gathered all his family into the ark, and the door had been shut. Can I just say something to you? He preached for 120 years, and not one single person outside of his own family believed. And then the raindrops became huge streams of water, and the water began to collect And everybody ran toward the ark. And you can just imagine knocking on the door. I should have believed. Noah, let me in. It's too late. And the flood came and it covered the whole earth. And destruction came upon creation. And the Lord Jesus said, please, please, my disciples, hear me. Don't be like the generation before the flood. Don't be cavalier. And then he gave another illustration. And I'm going to have to do this quickly. He said, not only don't be cavalier, but don't be careless. You know, it's possible to be careless. He said in verse 43 and 44, but know this, if the master of the house had known what hour, he's just using a little story now, Jesus is, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus said, Another attitude you can develop about end time things that you want to be careful of is you just get careless. You know, I believe it, but yeah, but it doesn't have a lot to do with me right now. And so you just sort of get careless. You don't think about it. I was surprised as I went back through the New Testament to discover, I guess in my mind, I thought this idea of Jesus coming like a thief was an isolated text. It's not. It's in the scripture several times. And it's not in any way compare the Lord Jesus, the lovely Lord Jesus with a thief. There's not a moral dot on his perfect righteous character. They're not comparing Jesus to a thief. They're appearing his coming to the coming of a thief. And you'll find it in Luke 12, 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, you'll find it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3. Remember therefore how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. What is Jesus saying? He's saying it's not going to be easy for you to know when this moment's going to come. So you have to be ready all the time. And don't get careless and say, oh, you know not going to come. I'm sure he's not going to come in my lifetime. Maybe you've got some prophetic chart at home and you figured out all these little intricacies and you figured out that, you know, there's got to be at least another 80 years and you don't think you're going to make it that long. So you're not going to worry about it. My friend, how foolish he's coming as a thief. He won't announce it. You won't know it. There won't be any way for you to prepare for it. So be ready all the time. Don't get careless about it. You know, we can get careless about things as Christians, especially if we're in a church where we're exposed to stuff like this all the time. We just sort of take it in stride. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I think I'm a pre-trib. I don't know. I think I'm a pre-mill. I don't know. But I'm just sort of glad to be here, you know. Let me tell you something. Don't get careless. 
Don't be cavalier. Doesn't matter. Don't get careless. I'm not going to worry about it. Then he told one final little story in the same passage. He warns against a calloused attitude. And this is what he says. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household? Listen to Jesus' story. Give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all of his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, now watch this. My master's delaying his coming. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whoa. Man, the Lord told some stories, didn't he? And he said, here's what this is all about. Everybody is a steward of the goods that God has given them. Every one of us, we don't have anything we own. We just manage for the Lord. He tells a story about this man who's got two servants and he goes away to this country that's far away and he leaves each of the servants to manage his goods. And he comes back and one of them's managed well, but the other, he didn't think his master was going to come back for a long, long time. So in his calloused way, he misused his trust. He beat the servants. He misused the gifts. All of a sudden, here comes the master. William Barclay who's a great historian, I love his history, was writing on this passage of scripture and he told this little thing. He said, there's a fable where three devil apprentices were coming to the earth to finish their apprenticeship and they were talking to Satan, the chief of the devils before they came to earth. And the first one said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do when I get down here. I'm gonna tell them there's no God. And Satan said, that's not gonna delude anybody. Everybody knows there's a God. And the second one said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll go down and I'll tell him there's no hell. Satan said, well, you can try if you want to, but that's not going to deceive very many people because down deep in the heart of every person, they know there's a place of punishment for those who reject God. And the third one said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down there and tell him there's no hurry. Satan said, that'll do it. That'll ruin a lot of them. That's what this servant was. He said, I don't have to get my act together because the master's coming back, but it's not going to be for a long time. There's no hurry. Some of you are like that. You come to church week after week in one fashion or another in Sunday school classes, in small groups, here in the auditorium, Sunday morning and Sunday night. You listen to the word of God. And in your heart, there is this thought, I need to get these things straightened out someday. And I'm going to do it. But not now. I got time. In a better time. I have people say to me, I'm going to get saved, Pastor Jeremiah, but it's just not convenient for me right now. You're going to feel awful foolish when you stand before the Lord with that excuse in your hand. Just not convenient. Back in the 1980s, I was working on a book on Revelation called Escape the Coming Night. And I'd preached through that book for two and a half years. I'd preached through the book of Revelation on Sunday nights over in the old auditorium. I'll never forget those nights, how wonderful they were. And just about the time that book was ready to go to press, something happened in the Northwest that took everything I'd try to say in that book and riveted it together in one story. And I wanted to remind you of that story. Old Harry, he was a stubborn man who had become a legend in the Pacific Northwest. Though he was warned repeatedly that his life was in jeopardy, he just always laughed about it. Red flags and danger signs are often ignored and Harry, well, 
he was a picture of ignoring the signs. You see, he lived at the foot of a quiet mountain, or at least it always had been quiet for the last 123 years. Sometimes the mountain stirred and spit cinder or drooled lava. Occasionally it looked down steep snow fields and rumbled a muted threat to the people. Some thought Bigfoot was up there, pounding around, making all the noise. But as you know, Mount St. Helens was seething inside, ready to unleash her force upon unbelieving admirers. And Mount St. Helens was awesome and mysterious. It was threatening to the few who understood her power. It was March of 1980, an earthquake registering 4.1 on the Richter scale was reported near Mount St. Helens in southwestern Washington. Forest rangers had advised of possible dangers from avalanches which could trap skiers or climbers. Most everybody was unconcerned, hardly anyone listened. The mountain setting was tranquil. People were looking for spring. The earth was singing with new warmth. And then on March 27th, a ranger heard what he thought was a sonic boom and the mountain erupted. Scientists rushed to access the explosive potential of the mountain. They painted a frightening scenario of future destruction. People listened, but many could not comprehend a disaster of such magnitude. Nothing like that had ever happened before. Old Harry. <laughs> Harry read the news in the paper while he ate up breakfast and fed scraps to his 16 cats. Nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him, he bragged. Days and weeks passed, and some people became impatient with the negative reports from the geologists. People would lose their concern of anything ever happening and wanted to get back to business as usual. Everybody kind of heard the geologists say what they wanted to hear them say, and they weren't really listening anyway. When the sheriff's deputies ordered all of the residents on the shores of Spirit Lake at the base of the mountain to leave for safety, Harry said, listen, I'm having a hell of a time living my life alone. I'm king of all I survey. I got plenty of whiskey. I got food for 15 years. I'm sitting high on the hog and I ain't going nowhere. Sunday morning, May 18th, 1980, the mountain exploded and hurled pulverized rock and ash almost 14 miles in the air. The force of the blast flattened trees, uprooting and smashing them like millions of dominoes spreading out from the crater. Steam and ash and gases spouted from the incinerated vegetation. Mud flows flooded the rivers and transformed the mountain lands into a ghastly charred landscape. The mountain's vengeance was 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb that leveled Hiroshima. The warnings were over. There was no longer any time to run, and nobody ever saw Harry again. It's like that. My friends, I am your pastor, and I love you. And I don't want any of you to be careless, cavalier, or calloused about something I know is going to happen as surely as I stand before you today. And if you're not ready to receive Jesus Christ, if you do not know him personally, you can hear these warnings and feel like you've got plenty of time. But there will be a day for someone somewhere when they waited one day too long. Don't let that be you. If you do not know the Lord Jesus, accept him as your savior. Today is the day of salvation. And that's what the scripture says. Don't procrastinate. Accept Jesus Christ today. 
tomorrow we'll talk about the rapture, which is the next major event for all believers when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth uh, to take us back to heaven. We're working on a little project that will be out in just a few weeks called After the Rapture. It's a discussion of everything that happens after the rapture, and it's meant as an evangelistic tool to give to people who don't know the Lord. They may not have any idea what they're in for. This is this book will explain to everyone what will happen after the rapture takes place, and the title of the book is After the Rapture. We'll be telling you more about that in the near future, and we'll talk about the rapture tomorrow right here on Turning Point. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the prophetic series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the word, and be in prayer. President George H.W. Bush's words spoken at the 1988 Republican Convention have haunted him ever since. He said that if Congress pressured him to raise taxes, he would say to them, read my lips, no new taxes. Later, during his presidency, Bush raised taxes to offset budget deficits. 
King Solomon said, it is better not to make a promise than to make one and not keep it? If we do have to break a promise, we should acknowledge it with an apology and with greater caution in the future. People are much more likely to forgive a broken promise if we will just acknowledge our failure. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's promises on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.